Good morning, Life Church. I hope you're doing well. This morning, we're continuing this series called The God Questions. And here's the deal. Everybody has questions about God. Now, in week one of the series, we asked the question, does God exist? And we addressed that. Last week, we talked about, is the Bible true? And we addressed that. This week, we're going to hit an, another very popular question. And um, this one gets thrown out there whenever, wherever people are voicing their questions about God. And here's the question. If there really is a good God, then why does he allow suffering in this world? It's a really good question. And it comes with a few variations as well. Like, if God is loving and powerful, then why does war exist? Or if God is loving and powerful, why is there starvation in the world? Or if God is loving and powerful, then how can he allow a coronavirus? Now, because we're not a very introspective people, we don't take time to investigate, too often we're content to just let our questions turn into cynicism. Huh, I guess maybe God is not there. Maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not powerful. Whatever. Well, the questions themselves are not all bad. God can handle our questions. Let's just ask them honestly and openly. Now, there's a great, uh, one of the great authors of our day was named C.S. Lewis. He wrote 60 books, including the wildly popular series, The Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote a book, a classic book called Mere Christianity, which I referenced early in the, in the series, and also a great book called The Problem of Pain, The Problem of Pain. Now, part of his adult life was spent as an atheist, and in this Problem of Pain book, he writes these chilling words. Listen to these. He said, not many years ago when I was an atheist, if anyone had asked me, why do you not believe in God? My reply would have run like this. Look at the universe in which we live. On earth, life is so arranged that all forms of it can live only by preying on one another. In higher forms of life, there appears a quality called consciousness, which enables creatures to suffer pain. Creatures cause pain by being born, live by inflicting pain, and in pain they mostly die. History is largely a record of crime, war, disease, and terror. Furthermore, he says, the universe will one day cease to be. All stories will come to nothing. All life will turn out in the end to have been a brief, senseless contortion upon the idiotic face of infinite matter. Well, happy Sunday, everybody. <laughs> now, I read that not to bum us out, but for a couple of very good reasons. First, to let you know, C.S. Lewis came to find new life in Jesus and find the life that comes from living with truth and living a life with God. And then secondly, the second reason I bring up those series of dark thoughts is to face a difficult and important question straight on. And it's this, does the existence of pain, suffering, and evil in this world prove that God does not exist? Does it? It's a huge question. And interestingly enough, Rather than try to sweep this under the rug, the Bible is full of very, very direct expressions of anguish and confusion about suffering. Uh, the book of Job and much of the book of Psalms and Ecclesiastes is more about this than anything else. The book of Job is all about suffering. Psalms like Psalm 22 are all about this. It's a psalm where the writer writes some words that Jesus later quoted. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh my God, I cry out by day, you do not answer. I cry by night, I'm not settled. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me. They shake their heads at me. 
Friends, the Bible is full of this kind of stuff. Now, in the ancient world, people suffered big time. Back then, people expected to suffer. In the ancient world, one out of every five children died before they were one year old. Half of all children died before they were 10. So frankly, they understood more about suffering than we ever will. The ancient Greeks said that life is about developing the type of character that can bear suffering without complaint. Uh, the Greek philosopher Epictetus wrote this. He said, while you're kissing your child to bed at night, just whisper softly, tomorrow you will die. If I was his kid, I would hate bedtime. It would suck. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you hate it? I would go, you know what, Dad? You don't have to tuck me in anymore. I'm good. I got this. <laughs> but what's different in our day is not that we suffer more. Actually, with technology and medicine and anesthesia, we probably suffer way less than any time before in history. What's different now is that somehow we expect that the universe should exist for our benefit. We assume that self not faith, not God, not community, but self is the highest value. And we think we're smart enough to figure out all this stuff and we really should be able to control our world. Now, so people assume that the existence of suffering isn't just a horrible problem, but many people take it to believe that God doesn't exist. Now, today I wanna to challenge that assumption, the assumption that the existence of suffering proves that faith in God is irrational. Now, a few truths I'm going to give us today to jot down that will help us out in thinking about these things. Here's the first one. The mere existence of pain does not prove the absence of love. We see this in everyday life all the time. A surgeon will allow pain in order to bring healing. Now, does the surgeon want to inflict pain? No, of course not. But there's good on the other side of it. A therapist will actually focus a client on sad memories for a while in order to bring clarity, growth, healing. Does the therapist want to bring, inflict pain? Of course not, but there's good on the other side of it. If you're a parent and your kid is being a selfish, whiny brat, he's driving you crazy, you might discipline them in some way. Do you want to inflict pain? Don't answer that. The answer is no. <laughs> Parenting, we all know this as parents. Parenting, love, pain, comes as a package deal. We know this. You can't escape it. When our son Dane was about three years old, he was in a hospital with really, really bad asthma, and they had to put an IV into his little hand to get the treatment that he needed. And watching this take place was just excruciating. Because up until that moment, everything that we did from day one was to protect him, to shield him, to take care of him. And he trusted us, and I felt so badly about this. Here we bring him to the doctor, and the doctor takes out this big needle and sticks it down into that chubby little baby hand. It was awful. And Dane's eyes got really big, and he started to cry, and he looked right at me as if to say, how could you do this to me? And I looked right in his eyes with as much compassion as I could muster, and I said, oh, little lovey, this was mommy's idea. Daddy would never, ever do this to you. <laughs> the Bible does not teach that all pain and suffering is God disciplining somebody. Christians can get a little bit goofy about this sometimes. Now, in the Hindu tradition, there's a doctrine called karma, which is kind of built around the idea that if you're experiencing pain now, then it's probably retribution for something that you did in an earlier existence. That set of thoughts is not in the Bible. Although I heard about a restaurant opening in town called karma. They don't even have a menu. They just give you what you deserve. I might have just made that up. 
But there really is. There's no simple formula about everybody getting good or suffering bad or evil because they deserve it. Uh, matter of fact, in the Bible, it tells us that God causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. It says that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Suffering comes to everybody. Good comes to everybody. So the existence of pain does not prove the absence of love. Not at all. That's the first thing. Here's the second truth. The existence of evil is a result of the fall of man. It was not part of God's original creation. See, there is a way that things are supposed to be. We're going to come back to that uh, in a little more uh, deep level in just a moment. But it's a very, very important idea. There is a way that things are supposed to be, and that way does not include pain and suffering and evil. The pain and suffering and evil came about because people are free, and people, they, we, chose sin. We are imperfect. C.S. Lewis, the writer, writes about this, and he says, Free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of creatures that work like machines would hardly be worth creating. Now, there was a, actually a movie that included this sort of idea some years ago. It was called The Stepford Wives. Now, Stepford was a suburb where real-life wives actually get replaced by identical-looking but robot wives. Now think about this for a moment. If you're a husband, imagine that this could actually happen. Would you want it? I mean, would you want your real-life, actual flesh-and-blood wife to be replaced by a robotic version of herself where she's always smiling, always cooking your favorite meals, always laughing at your dumb jokes, doing whatever she needed to do to make you happy? I mean, would you want that, really? Don't ruin Sunday. The actual answer is no. The answer is no, okay? By the way, I asked that question in reverse a while back to some wives one time. And a couple of them looked at each other and they said, well, he'd probably smell better. <laughs> so let's leave the whole Stepford discussion behind, okay? So anyway, this means that people must have the freedom to choose. And that means the freedom to choose evil. Now, some people wonder... Couldn't God have created a world where people are free to choose, but they would always choose good? No, that's silly. You can't have it both ways. It's kind of like saying, couldn't God have made a square circle? It's no limitation on God. It's just the nature of logic. So, that doesn't work. All right, now here's the third thought we'll look at here today. If there is no God, why should we be outraged when bad things happen to people? Think about it. It's very important, but it's a very subtle point. C.S. Lewis writes about this as well, and he said, My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. In other words, the argument against God based on pain and suffering is that if there's pain and suffering in the world, it wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be fair for God to create a world like that. But the whole notion of justice implies a transcendent standard. I mean, if the world is nothing but a machine, if it's just atoms wobbling around willy-nilly, where did this whole idea come from that there even is a way that things ought to be? Like, says who? The German philosopher and atheist Friedrich Nitschke, when he heard about a deadly tidal wave in Java, this is how he responded. He said, 200,000 people wiped out in a single stroke? 
how magnificent. He said that. See, if there is no God, then injustice is perfectly natural. So why care? It's only by having this transcendent standard that we even have any care about this kind of stuff. The atheist Nitschke freely admitted that he did not care about other people's suffering. Stay with me. Now, here's the contrast. Here's the contrast. Fourth thing is, in Jesus, we meet a God who will defeat suffering by suffering himself. This is a staggering truth. There is no other God like the God of the Bible. Now, we could do a whole message just on the sufferings of Jesus. Think about it. Born in a cave, having to leave his home and flee an infanticide. Live in Egypt and face anti-Semitism there. Lived in a poor family, worked as an obscure carpenter, lost his dad. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. He wept over Jerusalem. He experienced hunger and thirst and weariness and by betrayal by those closest to him. When they whipped and cut him, he bled. People rejected him. His friends abandoned him. A follower betrayed him. When they nailed him to a cross of wood, he died. The Old Testament refers to him as a man of sorrows. And the writer of Hebrews says it like this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. From what he suffered. So where is God when suffering occurs? He is right there with you. Right there with you. He gets it. And he's not just with us. He wants us to be with others who are suffering. I was thinking maybe it's not just we who ask God, God, what are you doing about suffering? Maybe it's God who will ask us that. I mean, think about this. We live in a world where people around us suffer. Will we really lean back, cross our arms, and accuse God about this? When the people are right in front of us? How can we be God's hands and feet in this world? I was just reading this week. Now, stay with me on this. A child from a poor family who does not read at grade level by third grade is six times more likely to drop out of school than someone who reads at grade level. Stay with me. A Northwestern University study said this, high school dropouts are 63 times more likely to be incarcerated than high school graduates. So are you putting these pieces together? If you look, there are signs of future suffering by the time a child is in the third grade. Their early years are mapping out a road for people and God put us here in the midst of all this so we could do something about it. And some of us here that are watching are already part of the solution and more will be. Here's how we need to look at life. If I'm a follower of Jesus, my purpose in life, my main purpose in life is not to avoid pain and suffering and somehow bring about comfort and success in my world. That's not my purpose. There's a reason why I've been blessed with God's love and grace in my life. God wants me to enjoy life, yes, but there's more. We're called to impact our world with the goodness of God. Now listen to these words from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said, too many Christians today are wearing the cross and not enough are bearing the cross. The cross is something you die on. It may mean the death of your preferences, might mean the death of your desired prestige. It may mean the death of your popularity or your budget. There are too many churches more concerned about a cushion than a cross, more concerned about making the gospel something easy 
retranslating the gospel to read, go into all the world and keep your blood pressure down, and lo, I will make you a well-adjusted personality. That isn't God's church. Don't forget, Bethlehem was just 18 miles from Calvary. See, in Jesus, we meet a God who suffers, who makes it very, under, very clear that he understands suffering. And his call upon us may take us through seasons of difficulty if we're to follow him with our whole hearts. But the presence of difficulty is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. More likely, it's a sign that you're doing something right. All right, one last observation. Here's number five. The perspective of God on the other side of death will take your breath away. See, God is up to something that we can't even wrap our brains around. This comes through very, very clearly through the New Testament writers over and over and over again. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In essence, Paul's saying, put them on a scale. Put them on a scale. Here's what we're going through right now. Here's what lies before us. Now, this is so great that by contrast, whatever it is over here that we're going through can only be described as light and momentary. Now, by the way, those are not the words of a comfortable suburbanite. No, Paul was whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, persecuted, ridiculed, arrested, imprisoned, and executed. And he had nothing, and still his description of all that is light and momentary. Friends, one day your clock will stop ticking. It's called death. But Jesus says in chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Now when we're on this side, when we are where we are right now, we would love to be excused from all the fear and the anxiety and the terror and the pain and the awfulness of all that. But on the other side of that doorway, Paul says, the redemption of all things throughout eternity will be more amazing and breathtaking than you can even imagine. So whatever you're going through, don't you lose heart. Friends, in this world, the truth is that drunk drivers hit people and there are deadly diseases. People get divorced, people get depressed. People get fired. People feel guilty for things that they've done. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've abused someone else. Maybe your health is gone or you're scared. A virus comes along and separates us from one another for way too long. To everybody who is suffering, listen, you are not at the end of your run. You're not. We're still on this side of the doorway. And the closeness and love and grace of God is waiting for you. And when you experience that, you can go through anything, anything. It's light and momentary. Jesus redeems it all. And you will see that he's up to something so good and so enormous that you can't even possibly imagine. Now, in the meantime, you're not alone. We are physically separated, yes, but we're together in heart and you know it. And we'll be together again very, very soon. And... So where is God when suffering occurs? He is right there with you. And lest we mistakenly think that we're just supposed to hold on until heaven comes, listen to the words that God gives us while we're still here. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down. My yoke is easy. My burden is light.
Bible also tells us, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Bible also tells us that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Now let's pray for a moment. Lord, we're grateful for our time together. We thank you for giving us your word in this world and reminding us that you are with us even when we suffer. And you can use us to be your hands and feet in this world with those who are around us suffering. Help us do that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.